Welcome to episode number 12 of the Sectarian States. I suppose at this point I should address the attempted coup? Insurrection? Rebellion? At the United States Capitol on January 6. There's not terribly much for me to say about the event itself, especially in light of all the rest that has been said of it. What exactly was it? Well, for most of the participants, it was probably a kind of spontaneous, oh look, we're apparently storming the Capitol building to show how displeased we are, kind of thing. Actually, for most of the participants of the Trump rally itself, they probably hadn't a clue what the day would bring. I am not in favor of a violent overthrow of the government of the United States. At the very least, not at this point. In 101 Things to Do Till the Revolution, Claire Wolf stated that America is at that awkward stage. It's too late to work within the system, but too early to shoot the bastards. I'm not entirely convinced that it's too late to work within the system because the system is quite complex and has many points that pressure could be applied to to bring about a peaceful transition to something better than it currently is, but I do agree that it is too early to shoot the bastards. I think that most of the people that it is too early to shoot are, after all, doing what they believe is right. I don't think there's some mass conspiracy by evil individuals to control everyone that's so widespread that everyone who believes that we should have a required national service or that we should have a Green New Deal is part of said conspiracy. I think that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez probably believes that what she's promoting is the best thing for the people. I also think that there are a great deal many people who do not believe that what AOC is promoting is the best thing for the people, but they do believe that they can acquire money and or power from using it. But for the true believers, they believe they are doing good. I would feel very bad calling for violent revolution against AOC, even though I believe her ideas will lead us to something Stalin-esque. And I would have no problem advocating violent revolution against Stalin. So yeah, I think it's too early to call for violent revolution against the likes of Ocasio-Cortez, but somewhere between her and Stalin would probably be acceptable. Which leads to the question of where the proper point to have a violent revolution is. For one thing, remember that violent revolution didn't defeat Stalin, and it didn't defeat Soviet Russia. After decades of authoritarian rule, the Soviet Union didn't go out with a bang, it went out with a whimper. They just kind of had to stop. Saying that, I don't think I would blame anyone for violently revolting against the Soviet government. And the point of revolution is different for everyone. This delves into political science a bit, but I think it's a bit fun to illustrate this kind of thing. And it gives me an excuse to actually use my degree in political science. 
Every person has a revolutionary threshold, that is, a confluence of occurrences that would cause them to be revolutionary. One part of this is that you need something to have a revolution about, and the other part is how many other people are willing to revolution with you. Given the nature of states and societies, there's almost always something that you can have a revolution about, but the real thing you need to worry about is how many other people around you are also willing to have a revolution. To that, we can assign a number. Usually, it's, it would be like a percentage of the population. Although, for a quick exercise, let's just use whole numbers. And these numbers are, of course, an abstraction of reality, a model, as it were. But as far as models go, it's a useful one for thinking abstractly about the whole revolution idea. Imagine for a moment that there are 10 people in society, and they are named A through J. Yeah, it's not terribly realistic. I'm not going for realism here, but it gets the point across. If it helps, you can write some stuff down, although I'll try my best uh, if you don't want to. At uh, time equals zero, there is no revolution, but there are some people on the cusp of revolution. Each person, A through J, will only join in a revolution if there are enough other people also joining in the revolution. A is equal to 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, etc., 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 on down the line. Now, this also is not at all realistic. Um, in a realistic environment, there would be a couple people whose numbers would be one or two or three, and there would be uh, several people whose numbers are like eight or nine or ten. But again, this is a mental exercise. So right now, the lowest revolutionary threshold number is one, held by A. If A saw one other person revolutioning, then A would join in the revolution. B needs to see two other people revolutioning and C would need to see three other people revolutioning, etc., etc., etc. Now, something happens that takes us from time zero to time one. That something will either raise, lower, or not affect people's revolutionary threshold, depending on the person. Something like a black guy with a concealed carry permit exercising his Second Amendment rights gets shot by the cops, or let's say a president with a large following loses an election. In our example, we'll just call it Event Alpha, Event alpha happens, and now B has a revolutionary threshold of 1, D has 3, F has 5, H has 7, J now has 9. There's still no revolution, though. Our lowest threshold number is 1, which means that A and or B would need to see one other person revolting before they did. Now, if they could communicate with each other, they might see that A would be B's person if B would be A's person, but that communication would be Event Bravo, which would, depending on how you interpret it, take their revolutionary threshold number down a notch or make it where they are observing someone else revolting. Either way, the result would be the same and they would start a revolution. But no, instead of Event Bravo, where A and B communicate, instead of that happening, Event Charlie happens. Now, what is Event Charlie? In our abstract, it doesn't matter, but in reality, it could be a video released on Twitter of a black man being arrested with a white cop sitting on his neck and then the black man stops breathing. It could be the president with a large following telling his followers that they need to march on the Capitol to stop the steal. Now at this point, I feel like I should point out that facts don't matter. Feelings matter. Reality doesn't matter. Perception matters. Now, I'm sure that Ben Shapiro will be quite upset to learn this, but just like facts don't care about feelings, feelings very often don't care about facts. Has there been a killing of a black man by police that lowered many people's revolutionary threshold where if the facts were of greater importance, 
It shouldn't have? Most likely, yes. Is there any possible way under the Constitution of the United States and the laws of the United States that Donald Trump could have possibly been declared the winner of the Electoral College and therefore next President of the United States? And so far as I can see, no. But these people's feelings do not care about the facts. And yes, I am comparing the Black Lives Matter revolution and the Capitol storming revolution to each other because in many ways they are similar. Yes, I am very aware of the myriad ways that they are not similar. You do not have to tweet at me the very many ways in which they are dissimilar. I am aware of many of them. I'm just saying that there are ways in which they are similar. So, Event Charlie happens for our little exercise. It's just the last straw for the person named A. It brings their revolutionary threshold down to zero. And when that happens to you, you don't care who else is with you. You just start revolting. So A starts revolting. B sees A, and since B has a threshold of one and A is one person, B starts revolting. C and D both have a threshold of three, but since there are only two other people revolting, C and D do not revolt. At this point, the revolution is tiny. It's two people. The other eight people just don't care. And at this point, the state can do actions that can do one of three things. They can decrease the revolutionary threshold, increase the revolutionary threshold, or neither increase nor decrease it for these people. Perhaps event delta is something that causes everyone's revolutionary threshold to increase by one. The state locks up the offending officer who killed the black man, appeasing A and or B. Or the state cracks down on A and B to the point where it scares everyone else into not revolting. Or perhaps even echo occurs. The state gives the offending officer qualified immunity and he goes free. Or another black man is killed by cops. Or the president pardons everyone involved in the last ruckus. The state is too scared of A and B to punish them, which emboldens other revolutions. Whatever Evendeco is, it doesn't matter. All we know about Evendeco is that it lowers the revolutionary threshold of C to 2, E to 4, G to 6, and I to 8. When C goes down to 2, he sees two other revolutionaries, and so joins in the revolution. D, at a revolutionary threshold of 3, sees 3 revolutionary and she joins in, so on and so forth, and now A through J are all in the revolution, which in my uh, particular model here doesn't make much sense because at least one of these people have to be the government. I guess it would probably be J, so now the government is involved in the revolution. It would be a really quick revolution because they would all get together and go, oh, we're all in the rep. This is the whole of the society. Okay, what are we going to do? It doesn't matter. The revolution was once two people, easily quashed, but now it is all ten people in society, not so easily taken care of, if for no other reason than the state has to be one of those ten people, and they have joined the revolution as well. So, problems with my exercise aside, the end result was everyone revolutioning. That not only need not be the case, but it is rarely the case. What percentage of the population actually needs to revolt for the revolution to come? That depends on who the revolutionaries are, how strong the state is, etc., etc., etc. According to a random website I just found, around 
6.5% of Americans were revolutionaries during the U.S. War of Independence. I have no idea how accurate that was, but let's go with it. That's both not very much, and that is a whole lot of people. In our above hypothetical, if A and B were the right people for the revolution, the revolution of the population of 10 people could have been successfully done way back after Event Charlie with 20% of the people participating. If A and B were not the right people, perhaps they would have failed. Or maybe if I and J were the right people for their side, they could have counter-revolutioned and been successful or not. Political science is not an exact science, as it were. But that's revolutionary threshold theory. Using that, you can explain a bit why we had such huge protests over the last summer. Or I'd venture that a lot of people had their revolutionary threshold lowered a bit by the confluence of lockdown stress, economic stress, and watching another black man have his life taken away by the cops on Twitter. Because of that revolution, it's possible that real change is actually on the way, and I would dare say that it's one of the reasons that Trump did not get reelected. Since he's not re-elected, that also will raise people's revolutionary threshold, and perhaps that'll make it hard for real change to actually happen, because maybe in the next year, two years, four years, ten years, people just won't care again. We can also look at the capital storming event, where a small number of people had their revolutionary thresholds lowered enough for them to actually break into the capitol building, Yet not enough people had their thresholds lowered enough for them to partake in maybe have some sort of sort of a coup? I don't know. And with that, I don't even think most of the people at the Capitol storming even had thoughts of shooting the bastards. Most of them were lemmings along for the ride. Some people, some small groups of people, apparently independent from random reports I recall reading, did have nefarious purposes with the flex cuffs and bear mace that they brought with them. Their revolutionary thresholds were very low, if not at zero. I have no doubt that these small groups or individuals thought that they would do something. What exactly? I don't quite know. These people were a bunch of jokers. And I mean that in the DC Comics Batman kind of way, and not in a very flattering kind of way. There's the scene in one of the Dark Knight movies where Joker says... Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. And although I think the Joker in the Dark Knight series was probably lying on that point, I don't think that if these people uttered those words, they would be lying at all. American Viking Buffalo Nazi man did not have a plan. His whole thing was catch the car and stand in the cement chambers with his flag and look cool. Once he got that, now what? He didn't have a clue. What is he going to do? What about Flex Cuff Gunman? He didn't have a clue. Let's look at his possible plan, though. He kidnaps the vice president, maybe a couple of other senators, holds them at gunpoint after tying them up, and then... And then what? Threaten the rest of Congress? You guys make Trump president again or these people will get shot. Sorry, but all you're doing at that is inviting the Navy SEALs to explode your head with sniper rifle fire as they make their rescue of the VP. There is almost no scenario that plays out where Flexcuff Man comes out alive. And there's absolutely no scenario where Flexcuff Man's goals are met of having Donald Trump be the president for the next four years.
at best, at best, to him, he gets to kill the people he doesn't like, and those he killed will be held forevermore as martyrs to democracy. And a hundred years from now, they'll teach about Mike Pence and Chuck Schumer in history class, once enemies from different political parties. They stood for America and democracy and mom and apple pie. And they spat in the face of Flex Cuff Man as he shot them. And they watch us now from their special cloud in heaven, while Flex Cuff Man suffers in the ninth circle of hell, being eaten by Satan himself as befits a traitor of his stature. One reason that I am sometimes hesitant to call this a coup, an insurrection, a rebellion, is because I can't imagine a serious coup, insurrection, or rebellion being this completely incompetent. It's like the Three Stooges invade Washington. It's Dumb and Dumber 3, the dummies accidentally invade the Capitol. Even the people who came with a plan? What did they think they would accomplish? There's no realistic way where anything could have happened. No hostage would have caused the government to say, huh, guess Trump should stay in, or really anything. I'm not saying that this wasn't an attempted coup or insurrection or that it wasn't a terrorist act or anything like that. I am just saying that if it were, it is the worst possible of any of these things imaginable. Not in some kind of horror movie worst kind of way, but more in a slapstick comedy kind of way. There are conspiracy theories out there about how this was actually Antifa or government agents uh, because the end result of the storming of the Capitol could only possibly result in the Trump supporting stormers being deprived of their civil liberties, either justly through a court of law or unjustly through legislation or other government action that can declare any MAGA group a terrorist organization or whatever. And any such legislation or government action should worry civil rights activists, not because they like MAGA, but because such a precedent could be used against other political groups. If this were some kind of conspiracy, it isn't merely against MAGA, but it would be against any group left or right, that has something mean to say about the government. And this isn't my attempt at a slippery slope, first they came for MAGA kind of thing. This is just what the government does. It, if you give the federal government more power to clamp down on this kind of odd, semi-spontaneous MAGA storming of the Capitol type events, it would be worded in such a way that could very easily affect, say, a Black Lives Matters groups. For example, uh, political extremist groups who unlawfully trespass on government property, well, that sounds a lot like the BLM George Floyd protests in Minneapolis where a small number of people entered the Minneapolis 3rd Precinct building, a government building, and proceeded to burn it to the ground. Using loosely worded legislation, which is of course the best kind of legislation according to those who wish to enact their power upon us, BLM could be declared a terrorist organization. Never mind that the vast majority of BLM activists did not trespass, or the vast majority did not want to trespass on government property, much like how many people, the vast majority of people in the MAGA movement probably do not want to do the same thing. Using the wrong, or right, depending on your goals, wording and legislation, any group who has a radical wing tangentially attached to the group, or any movement that isn't exactly organized, 
but marched under the same name, such as BLM or MAGA or insert whatever kind of loose movement you can think of here, could be criminalized. Not just BLM, not just MAGA, if you're attached to any movement for libertarian ideas, for socialist ideas, for conservative ideas, for progressive ideas, for liberal ideas, and someone in your name acts against such legislation, the whole movement could be condemned and anyone associated with it declared a terrorist. And at this point, let that conspiracy theorist mind fly at the government agents who might act in the name of such a movement that the powers that be in government determined to be a threat. It wouldn't be the first time that agent provocateurs happened, and it wouldn't be the last. First, if you are anywhere on the left side of the aisle, imagine such power in the hands of Donald Trump or George Bush or any other Republican president, because eventually there will be a Republican or at least a non-Democrat president. But never mind even the future Republican president, let's look at our current Democratic president. Is he or his VP any friend to BLM, to socialism, to progressivism, to social justice? No. I don't often like using the collective we, but for this one case, I think I will. This election, we elected George Bush. We elected George Bush, both of them. We elected Bill Clinton. We elected Barack Obama, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan. We elected the establishment. We decided that Trump was bad, yes, and therefore establishment good. That we would rather have Romney and McCain and Clinton and Clinton and Bush and Bush and Bush and Bush. That we would exchange cold comfort for change. Over 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. That's nearly 47% of the voters. About 30% of the potential voters and about 22% of the people of the United States. It's a large number of people. Looking at the other side, at 81 million people, Biden won a bit over 51% of the voters, or 33% of the potential voters, or about 24.5% of the people in the United States. Between a crazy change non-establishment douchebag and a geriatric establishment status quo turd sandwich, America chose the turd sandwich. On the upside, a majority of eligible voters didn't choose Biden or Trump. Yes, the voters chose, within a relatively small margin, Biden, but the plurality of possible voters chose nobody. Yes, Biden is king, long live King Biden, but not because the people chose him. The people chose none of the above. They decided that something else was more important than him. Whether it was a business meeting, a drug meeting, a nap, work, or for whatever other reason, more people who could have voted for whomever they wanted to vote for decided it would be better to not vote at all. And in a lot of places, they didn't even have to show up. They got letters in the mail with return postage paid for, begging for their vote. All they had to do was get drunk and accidentally fill it out and then drop it in the mailbox. And they couldn't even be bothered to do that. Once again, due to the confluence of events of the last year or so, this year has been the highest voter participation 
rate in a century, yet over a third of the people who could have voted decided not to. To the people who didn't bother, I salute you. I'm jealous of your lack of care about the political process, or really I'm jealous for just about whatever reason you have for not caring, and I only wish all of us could achieve that level of zen. Could you imagine for just a moment America in the future with 500 million people eligible to vote and Bob McBobby wins against Jimothy Franklin Hooplin with a whopping 75% to 25% because the vote totals were actually just 75 to 25? I look at our current system and I see zero legitimacy. But man, can you imagine a scenario where 20% or 10% or 5% or 1% of the people bother to show up to vote? Where the other 99% are off doing things that are actually important and meaningful? Oh, I might have gotten off track. I would at this time reiterate that I am not a violent person and am not currently calling for the violent overthrow of the government. Uh, there's plenty of things that we could try before things necessitate violence. Right now, I think we could still have secessions. We could still have a convention of the states. We still have so many nonviolent options open to us right now. You might not be able to nonviolently get your particular president in office right now, but there's still a viable option that a state, a polity, that votes for a particular president could get that president, even if they do not win all the voting contests in all of the other states. Just think, right now you could live in a state with Biden as your president and all the Trump supporters could live in Trump states. And you could just ignore each other, just like we in the United States ignore Justin Trudeau, except to occasionally make fun of him for wearing blackface, or how we ignore the president of Mexico, Alejandro Jamete, except to make fun of who knows what because we don't care what the president of Mexico does. We don't even know who the president of Mexico is. In fact, Alejandro isn't even the president of Mexico, but of Guatemala. And still, you don't care. Alejandro isn't trying to lead a coup, an insurrection, a rebellion, a terrorist attack, a bumbling yakety sax soundtrack, whatever the crap that thing on the 6th of January was. Alejandro is just doing whatever it is that Alejandro does, and we are completely ignorant of him, in spite of the coffee we may be drinking, or the bananas that we might be eating that come from the country that he is attempting to lead. And that's perhaps how Oregon needs to be with Mississippi. Unless you lived there, you might not know that the governor of Mississippi is Governor Kate Brown, or that the governor of Oregon is Governor Tate Reeves, or vice versa. Who really cares? But we know who the president of Oregon is, and we know who the president of Mississippi is, and the people of Oregon and the people of Mississippi are actually a bit cross at each other because of that. And they always will be rather cross at each other because of that. And there is no good reason for them to be cross at each other. So let's make it where the good people of Oregon, or Kate, or Tate, or whomever, only have so much as they are willing to handle to do with the good people of Mississippi under Kate, or Tate, or whomever. The hillbilly Trump supporter from Mississippi has no need to storm the capital of Oregon, nor does the Antifa hippie from Oregon have a desire to storm the capital of Mississippi. Perhaps uh, the Trump-supporting hillbilly from Mississippi wants to invade the state house in Jackson, 
Or perhaps the hippie would like to invade Portland. It's not Portland, it's Salem? What? Really? Say Salem. They called it Salem. Whatever. Salem? Maybe the inhabitants of those states may wish to storm their own capitals, whatever silly names they call them. But really, if a bunch of people in Guatemala stormed the Guatemalan capital, not only would most of us not know, but we wouldn't particularly care. We wouldn't care that Alejandro, I already forgot his last name, and I don't think I pronounced it right the first time anyway, but we wouldn't care that he got overthrown, and maybe, just maybe, that's how it should be. That's it from me today, everyone. If you enjoy what I do here, please rate me on whatever podcatcher you may be using. You can find me at YouHadMeAtHayek on Twitter if you have questions or comments, or if you just want to read my random tweets about politics, booze, or my cute animal retweets. Until next time, you take it easy.